W-O-R, New York. Seven o'clock by Longin, the world's most honored watch. A Longin Whitnor product. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and 1036 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Tonight's adventure, the case of the very best butter. Well, here we are once again on the threshold of Dr. Watson's cheerful study. The lamplight streams over the handsome bindings of his library and the fragrance of many bowls of hyacinths fills the room. The curtains move gently in a slight evening breeze. And I, for one, am glad to sit down and just listen, Doctor. Sounds like a bad case of spring fever, Mr. Harris. (laughs) Yes, I have an idea tonight's story may make you forget that. But uh, before we discuss the case of the highly emotional lady who took a violent interest in butter... Suppose you say a few words on a subject every self-respecting male takes quite an interest in nowadays. You mean how to present a well-groomed appearance without bankrupting his budget. Well, this is an important announcement because it affects the cost of your living. You know very well that the cost of many things you buy has risen considerably. Some costs are still rising. The reasons are many. Increased costs of material, increased labor costs, and so on. Now, it's true manufacturing costs are higher. However, in the face of sharply mounting costs, Clippercraft brings you superbly tailored suits at only $40 and $45. Beautifully made top coats, including fine coverts and worsted gabardines, at only $40 and $45. And sport jackets at only $26.50. Tropicals, too, at $33.75 to $40. Clippercraft offers these amazing values even today because of the unique Clippercraft plan concentrating the buying power of 1036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast, making possible steady year-round operation, affecting tremendous savings in manufacturing and distribution costs. Only comparison will prove what this means in money saved on your spring clothing budget. Yes, compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now, Dr. Watson, back to the lady who was so interested in butter. Mm, yes, it occurred while I was sharing lodgings with Holmes at 221B Baker <laughs> Street. Honest, Injun, was there ever really such an address as 221B Baker Street? Oh, this modern generation. Nothing but doubting Thomases. You know, would you believe it? Uh, there are people who go so far as to suspect that Sherlock Holmes is nothing but a figment of my imagination. Why, sacrilege, Doctor. Well, it's worse than that. So to silence all skeptics once and for all, I'd like to read a small item from that guidebook to end all guidebooks, the well-known Baedeker. It's right here on the first shelf somewhere. Yes, Baedeker's Paris, Baedeker's Rome. Oh, here we are, Baedeker's London and the Environs. Don't tell me Baker Street is actually mentioned in Baedeker. Oh, it is indeed. Yes, I have the page marked somewhere. Yes, just Melbourne Road, Prince Charlotte's Maternity Hospital. No, that's not it. Baker Street Station. Yes, here we are. Baker Street. Chief thoroughfare between Oxford Street and Melbourne Road. Mrs. Siddons lived from 1817 till her death in 1831 at number 27, Upper Baker Street. House demolished. Tablet. Lord Lytton, the novelist, was born at number 68 in 1803. Tablet. And William Pitt lived in 1802-04 at number 120, tablet. 
Sherlock Holmes also had rooms there. Don't tell me there's no tablet at 221B, Doctor. Oh, well, not yet. Give us time. After all, Holmes is still mortal. Tablets are for the immortals, Mr. Harris. Well, that certainly should settle any doubts about Mr. Sherlock Holmes' reality once and for all. I certainly hope so. Well, as I was saying, it was uh, in the good old Baker Street days. It was rather latish of a gloomy afternoon. I'd remained indoors all day, for the weather had taken a sudden turn to rain, and my practice wasn't too thriving at the moment. With my body in one easy chair and my legs upon another, I listened with growing irritation to Holmes as he practiced interminable scales, roulades, glissandos, and what have you on his violin. At last, a particularly screeching dissonance was more than my frazzled nerves could bear. Holmes, must you do that? Calm yourself, my dear Watson. I was not responsible for that last bit of cacophony. It was caused by the scraping of a carriage wheel against our curb. Yes, we are about to receive a client. A rather portly lady of means, unless I'm very much mistaken. Oh, how can you possibly tell? You haven't even bothered to look out of the window. The outraged creak of the carriage springs as its passenger descended to the pavement indicates a person of substance. The tap of French heels on the pavement indicates the person's a lady. And the fact that the vehicle remained at the curb indicates that it's either a private carriage or a public conveyance that's been told to wait. Either eventuality indicates a person of means. Oh, I swear I heard nothing except the first creep against the curb. I must say, Holmes, you have ears like a hawk. <laughs> your metaphor is a trifle mixed, my dear Watson, but I accept your tribute. Come in. Mr. Holmes? Mr. Holmes? Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Naturally. This is my uh, friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Oh, how do you do? Thank heavens you're at home. You must dine with me tonight, both of you. I may need a doctor as well as a detective. Interesting. I, I mean, what brings you to that rather startling conclusion? I am in grave danger, and you are the only person who can save me. How, madam? My husband wishes to be rid of me. I am being poisoned, systematically, cold-bloodedly poisoned. That is, I was until I hired an old nurse of mine to do the cooking and refused to eat anything that wasn't served to everybody in the house on a common plate, pot or tureen. So that if poison were present, all members of your household would be in equal danger. Exactly. I'm no fool. How many members of your household are there, Mrs... Uh, I am uh, Madame de Pavan. My husband is Pubis de Pavan, the famous violinist. Oh, yes, I've heard him in concert. Remarkable technique. They tell me his trills compare favorably with Paganini. Oh, yes, Pubis is a great violinist. If you've heard him play, you have doubtless also seen my daughter, who plays his accompaniments. My husband, my daughter Therese, and myself. They are the, there are only three of us in the household. We are, I may say, the eternal triangle. Pubis is infatuated with Therese. Well, really? Your daughter, I gather, Madame de Pavan, is the child of a previous marriage. Yes and no. As a matter of fact, she's my stepdaughter, the child of my first husband by his first marriage. Rather a complicated menage, eh, Watson? Oh, quite. Huh, I was a fool to marry a man so much younger than myself. But Pubis was well, ardent. You know what these Latins are, Mr. Holmes. Mm. Swept me right off my feet. Would you believe it? He refused to eat or sleep until I named the day. It all happened in the south of France, that land of languor and romance. Oh, I see it all. The courtship, the honeymoon, the return home, the meeting with the daughter of the household, the inevitable call of youth to youth. Pubis isn't that young, Dr. Watson. I'm not a cradle snatcher. And besides, he'd known to raise long before I met him. She accompanied him on a concert tour, much against my better judgment, I will say. I sometimes think their romance may have blossomed even then. Yes, but in that case, why did Monsieur de Pavan marry you, or not your stepdaughter? Because, Dr. Watson, I happen to be the one who has the money. These uh, 
realistic Frenchman, eh, Watson? Mm. Uh, tell me, Madame de Parfum, when did you first suspect you were being poisoned? About a month ago. I began to have a marked distress after every meal. You don't think it could have been uh, flatulence brought on perhaps by overeating? Certainly not. I have an extraordinarily good digestion plus an excellent appetite. Obviously. I will say Pius has tried to persuade me to eat less of the fattening foods, but I tell him that here in England men appreciate fine figure of a woman. No, Mr. Holmes, I know the difference between flatulence and a definite and even painful burning sensation in the pit of my stomach. And I can guess what causes it when I see that the weed killer I keep for the garden is disappearing in the middle of the winter. Weed killer? But that's full of arsenic. I know that. I know, fool. That's why I sent for Nanny three weeks ago to do the cooking. What a pity you didn't come to me instead. I should have enjoyed making the Reinsch test on the contents of your stomach. Now, of course, after three weeks, it would be very difficult to prove the presence of arsenic in your system. Short of an autopsy, of course. Well, I'm not giving anyone a chance for that. Not if I can help it. I take it you've had no further distress since your nurse was brought in to do the cooking? No, no, that I haven't. Then why do you come to me at this late date? Because I think Pubis is getting set for another try. He leaves tonight for a concert tour of the continent. I have forbidden Therese to accompany him. But just half an hour ago, I heard them plotting together. I was counting the silver in the butler's pantry when I heard them come into the dining room. They didn't know that I was listening. I don't care what she says. I can't. I won't go without you. But you'll have to, Puvis. You have a week before your first concert. You'll be able to find another accompanist in Paris. But I don't want another accompanist, Therese. I want you. You know I can't do anything if you want with me. You've got to come with me. Sneak out of the house when she's not looking. But I can't do that, Puvis, dear. She'll disown me. I'll be disinherited. We'd both starve. Oh, confound the woman. If she only weren't so big-headed and so rich. I've tried to persuade her, Puvis, but she won't listen. She won't listen to words, perhaps. But there are other ways of persuading people. Therese, promise me that if anything should happen, you will come to me by the next boat. Of course. But what could happen? Don't worry. I have a plan. A neat little plan. And it shouldn't take too long to work out. Hmm. A rather ambiguous conversation, if you'll permit me to say so, Madame de Pavan. What makes you so sure your husband will try to poison you at dinner tonight? First, because it's his last meal at home. The boat train leaves at 9.30. And second, because I found this bottle in the waste paper basket in his study. Hmm. A pharmacist bottle with a label partly torn off. The letters P-O-I-S, still visible. P-O-I-S. Holmes, if you add O-N, that spells poison. Brilliant, my dear Watson, positively scintillating. There seems to be a small bit of white crystalline powder still left at the bottom of the bottle. What do you make of it, Watson? Well, from the, the look and the smell, it might be Epsom salts. Holmes, what are you doing? Tasting it. What? Uh, just the slightest suspicion of a taste, Watson. Yes, it's slightly acrid and metallic. That, too, might be Epsom salts. Want to try it, Watson? No, 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 thanks. I'm not interested in tasting anything that comes in a bottle marked poison. <laughs> perhaps you're right. Yes, I think perhaps we should try some more extensive tests before we make up our minds about the contents of this bottle, madame. I don't care what you do, but don't be late for dinner. We dine at 7.30. The address is 49 Rathbone Place. You enter from Oxford Street. It's close to Tottenham Court Road. We shall be there, madame. On the dot.
Well, here we are, Holmes. Rathbone Place. The name sounds vaguely familiar. Yes, you may have heard me mention it, Watson. The street is named after a distant uh, connection of mine. I see. Just what did you find in the bottom of that bottle, Holmes? Antimony. Antimony? But that's deadly poison. Quite. It's also a constituent of many quack pills. Monsieur de Pavan may be dosing himself for anything from blood pressure to hangnails. Well, just the same, it doesn't improve my appetite to know we're dining at a house where there's poison about. Uh, what if he gets in the wrong person's soup? Perhaps we should have brought your stomach pump. Don't be indelicate, Holmes. Personally, I shall follow Madame de Pavan's example and eat or drink nothing that doesn't come from a community dish. Very sensible, Watson. Very sensible indeed. Yes, here we are. Number 49. Give the bell a pull, Watson. There's a good chap. Right, sir. Well, I must say there's nothing particularly sinister looking about the house, eh, Holmes? Nice, cheerful little ruffled curtains. Yes. The poisoners have been known to live in the most innocuous surroundings. Holmes, I do wish you'd refrain from indulging your sepulchral sense of humor. Yes, sir. I, um, that is, if Madame de Pavan lives here, I believe we're expected. Ah, but this is a great honor. Come in, gentlemen, come in. Who will believe me when I say I have the honor of entertaining the world's master detective and his ami, the good doctor? Oh, then, then you, you recognize us? Naturally. Who does not know the great Sherlock Holmes? Besides, my wife has taken great trouble to impress upon me just who it is she has invited to dinner. Oh, that's certainly forthright of her, eh, Holmes? Madame is a forthright person. She says what she thinks, even when she changes her mind. But will you not step into the parlor? We shall have a glass of sherry. Madame and her charming daughter will be down directly. Uh, thank you, but you know, I don't, don't think that, that is... Uh, not before dinner. I, I mean, it might take away my appetite. Oh, come, come, Dr. Watson. It is such excellent sherry. Here, I pour from the decanter for you. For the great Mr. Sherlock Holmes. And for myself. Oh, well, well, in that case, eh, Holmes? Uh, Sunday, monsieur, to your continued good health. But what do you wait for? Huh? Bottoms up, as they say. <laughs> I see. You wish to see if I drink first. Very well, so. You see, it is quite harmless. Well, that's a relief. Uh, may I say, monsieur, it is no secret to me why you are here. My poor wife thinks she is being poisoned, and she suspects me. Well, that's dashed frank of you, I must say. Why not be frank, monsieur doctor? I have nothing to hide. Yes, you are a medical man. You must realize that many women, particularly if they are well-bred, and shall we say, a bit high-strung, when they come to a certain age, they develop curious ideas. You do not know how quickly Madame Pavin recovers from her little eccentricities. You know how these things are, Dr. Watson? No, yes, yes. I must say, if the lady is suffering from a well, an idée fix, you're very wise to go away and give it a chance to blow over. Uh, you are planning to go alone, Monsieur de Parfum? But, of course. What about an accompanist? Oh, you mean there is. I think at this time it is best she stay with her mother. After all, I do not want to leave her entirely alone. She might develop a melancholia. Very understanding of you, Monsieur de Pavan. Ah, but I am a man of the world. I have traveled. You see, I know many women. I understand them better, perhaps, than you uh, Englishmen. Perhaps. And now, if you will excuse a moment, I must see if Madame needs my assistance. Her maid is not very strong, and since Madame has put on a few pounds, she needs a man to, what you call, hoop her up the back. Uh, please do pour yourself more sherry in my absence. Now that you know it is safe. Au revoir, monsieur. Well, Watson, what do you make of our friend, the violinist? Well, you know, Holmes, he may be perfectly right. Madame de Pavan may be suffering from a slight form of female hysteria. 
Then in that case, why has he booked two passages to France? See? Here are the pickets sticking out from beneath this blotter. One is for tonight. The other is for a week from now. So, Sherlock Holmes didn't think Monsieur Pavard was as innocent as he pretended to be, Doctor. <laughs> no, Mr. Harris, don't ask me what Holmes thought. No one ever knew that, not even I, until afterwards. Well, pretty soon the maid announced... There you are, sir. Uh, what's that? The sherry flips you ordered, Dr. Watson, for you and Mr. Harris. Oh, oh yes, thank you, Kitty. Right on cue. Well, Dr. Watson, this is what I call hospitality. Yes, I thought we might uh, take a breather and uh, drink a toast to our sponsor's continued success. Right on. Find local independent stores in every community. Report increasing demand for Clippercraft. So every day, even more millions of men are becoming acquainted with unrivaled Clippercraft values. These values are the result of the Clippercraft plan, which is just about the best possible example of the true American way in production. The famous Clippercraft plan concentrates the buying power of 1036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast. Perfectly amazing economies result. And here's the answer. You can secure truly fine Clippercraft suits this spring for only $40 and $45. And superb top coats in fine coverts and worsted gabardine at only $40 and $45. Sport jackets for only $26.50. And tropicals at $33.75 to $40. See these remarkable values tomorrow. Yes, selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits, top coats, sport jackets, and tropicals. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. Well, now that we've had our pause for refreshment, suppose we return to our story. Huh? Fair enough, Doctor. As I was saying, pretty soon the Pavan's little parlour maid announced dinner. Holmes and I repaired to the dining room where we found Madame de Pavan and her stepdaughter, a rather toothy female, already seated at either end of the table. Monsieur Pavan stood in back of his chair at the far side. Madame, who was ladling soup out of a large tureen, her napkin tucked well over her bodice, turned and pointed imperiously to the two empty chairs at the near side. You sit here, Mr. Holmes, next to me. Dr. Watson, you sat there next to Therese. Oh, delighted, I'm sure. I'm afraid this soup isn't as thick as it should be. Old Nanny isn't the best cook in the world, but at least I know that it won't give me a stomachache. Oh, darling, you have such a delightful sense of humor. Soup of the evening, beautiful soup. You know the songs from Alice and Wonderland, Mr. Holmes? They have been so charmingly set to music by Lisa Lehman. Never mind Alice in Wonderland, pubis. You may pour out the claret. Certainly, my dear. No, not from that bottle. The one that's not been opened with a cock still sealed. Perhaps Dr. Watson will do the honors. He looks like a person who could handle a bottle. Yeah, what's that? I confess quite freely that I have never been able to master that little object you call the 
corkscrew. Oh, of course, well, if you like. Here it is. Oh, a magnificent vintage, madame. My father laid down quite a respectable cellar before he died. Bravo, bravo. And now to add further to the festivity of this occasion, I have a special surprise for my dear little wife. Oh, what's that? Butter. You may not know it, Mr. Holmes, but ordinarily I do not approve of butter on the dinner table. Bread, I believe, should be eaten in the continental fashion, with just a pinch of salt. My wife, however, bless her dear little heart, has a weakness for butter, even though it is forbidden by the doctor. However, tonight, being my last meal at home, and to honor two such distinguished guests, I, well, I myself went out and bought a roll of butter. And here it is, in our beautiful silver butter dish. Oh, it is pretty. But I, I really don't think oh, I ought come, to... come, come, my dear. There is no possible danger. It is all in one piece. You can cut off your portion for yourself and we will all follow suit. Mm, it does look so good. I assure you, my dear, it's the very best butter. That, too, is from Alice in Wonderland, Mr. Hope. Oh, yes, that, that tea party. Another, shall we say, unusual meal? Ah, delightful, delightful. Allow me, my dear, I'll cut you a piece of butter from this end. No, thank you. I'll do it myself. From the other end. As you please. And now, for our guests. One, two pieces. And another piece for little Therese, who is almost as fond of butter as her charming mama. Oh, Pubis. And last but not least, I too shall indulge. There. Now, my dear, if you will pass the bread. Oh, uh, allow me. <laughs> Oh, my God. Watson, how could you? You've spilled your wine all over Mr. Ray's Clumsy fool. But I wasn't anywhere near the your glass. Your best blue frock, Therese. It's an outrage. That will do, Pubis. Therese's frock isn't that important. If it's spoiled, I'll buy her a new one. I apologize, my friend, madame. There are times when he's like a great big Newfoundland dog. What? I know you didn't mean to, old boy. No, no. As my wife says, what is it, Therese? Therese will have many more. I apologize if I have been hasty. My nerves, you understand, before a concert tour are always a little on the uh, edges, as you say in English. But come, let us enjoy the meal, if I may trouble you for the bread, Mr. Holmes. I certainly. Well, bon appétit, as you say in French. Another cup of coffee, Puvis? No, 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 my dear. Many thanks. Excellent meal. I only hope I shall uh, not regret crossing the channel. Let us hope that you will not regret many things crossing the channel. A very cryptic remark, Mr. Holmes. But if by any chance anything should uh, occur, you are here to prove my conscience is clear, Nesper. Nothing like having the greatest of all detectives as a witness to one's innocence. You two may know what you're talking about, but I assure you it's gibberish to the rest of us. Beg pardon, madame. Yes, what is it? The master's carriage, the one he ordered to take him to the station, is waiting outside. Hmm. You, yes, I must not miss my train. Pardon my hasty departure, but you know how it is. My dear, did you pack my goggles? It's in your medicine case, Pulis, with your toothwash and your hair tonic and your bismuth and your eye wash. My husband, Mr. Holmes, is a veritable traveling chemist shop. Hmm. I hope he carries the uh, antidotes for all of his medicines. Antidotes? You speak in parables, Mr. Holmes. And why should I use an antidote? I have merely one of my wretched sore throats coming. Ah, well. Au revoir, Dr. Watson. Au revoir, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Bon voyage, Monsieur de Pavan. Mm -hmm. 
morning, Holmes. Morning. Well, I must say that was a curious dinner party last night. It was for breakfast. Kippers, and don't monopolize them. Mmm. Mmm, tasty. Well, I gather Madame de Provence survived the evening. I left word that she was to send for me immediately if she felt the slightest qualm. And if you ask me, Monsieur de Provence was quite correct in his diagnosis. Pass the toast, please. Yeah. The old girl's stomach aches and suspicions were probably a mild form of female hysteria. I wasn't concerned in the least for Madame de Provence's safety, Watson. It was her husband I rather wondered about. Uh, what do you mean? You haven't read the morning papers, I take it. Here, take a look at this item. Famous violinist dies in channel crossing. Puis de Bavan succumbs to nausea and convulsions. Good Lord, what... Yes, I rather thought he might. As I suspected, the butter was poisoned. Antimony. Poisoned? Careful, Watson, you spilled your coffee. But I ate some of that butter. You ate some of it. So did everyone now, else. Calm yourself. The poison was all in the end portion where Monsieur de Pavan so carefully put it. The piece that Madame de Pavan cut off for herself. Yes, but he offered her the other end. Naturally, Watson. He knew she'd be contrary. Monsieur de Pavan was a very shrewd judge of his wife's character. Oh, but, but great Scott, suppose she hadn't turned it around. One of the rest of us might have had the poison slice. No, Watson, I rather imagine if that had happened, Monsieur de Pavan would have continued serving from the harmless end and left the poison bit instead of serving from the other end. It was this, uh, shall we say, change of direction that made me suspect he was up to no good. Yes, but look here, Holmes, it still doesn't make sense. It wasn't Madame de Pavan who died, it was her husband. Naturally. Why do you think I upset that glass of claret over the daughter's dress? I might have known it was you. I did it in order to create a diversion so I could shift Monsieur and Madame's butter plates without anyone being the wiser. Of course, even there was no proof that the butter was poisoned. I did it just in case. Then you didn't actually know the butter was poisoned until you read the morning's paper? Oh, no, Watson, but antimony, as you doubtless remember, is rather a slow-acting poison. One of the first symptoms, however, is a soreness of the throat. I suspected the little Frenchman had taken a dose of his own poison when he inquired about his gargle. That's why I advised him to use an antidote, remember? You think he understood that warning? Quite. Well, but then why didn't he take the antidote? He knew we were onto him, Watson. Rather than face the consequences of his crime, he decided to let nature take its course. Yes, um, spear me another kipper, Watson. If you can spare it. That was a lurid dinner party, Dr. Watson. Yes, Mr. Harris. Meals with Sherlock Holmes were often rather rough on the nervous system. Oh, the doses of bicarbonate I used to consume. Well, that's neither here nor there. I dare say you'd like to inquire about next week's story, Mr. Harris. That's right, Dr. Watson. What are we to have next week? No more poison butter. That I can promise you. No, next week I think I'll tell you how Holmes and I encountered a strange 17th century highwayman on the wilds of Hampstead Heath. He was known as Jack-O-Lantern because he carried a lighted skull for a lantern. There was another Jack in the story as well, a Jack of Diamonds. The makers of Clippercraft clothes and 1036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, 
and the dramatizations are by Edith Miser. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran, with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next Sunday to Sherlock Holmes in The Return of the Jack of Diamonds. <laughs> this is Cy Harris speaking for Clipper Craft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.